0: What's tomorrow? Tomorrow is the first day of 2024, New Year's, right? And uh, it's, it's a tip, typical time, the traditional time that we make New Year's resolutions. And you're thinking, oh, here it comes, another New Year's resolution sermon. No, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, you know, if you, if you do need help in making a New Year's resolution, I'm going to suggest that you ask three questions. Number one, what needs to change in my life? Number two, uh, can I trust God to empower me and guide me to make that change? And number three, how can I give him the credit for those changes? So those, those are my three principles for New Year's resolutions. But, but I want to talk about a spiritual challenge today and something that's found in the book of Philippians. And I believe it has a a big potential in making a difference in our lives and in our church family as we look forward to this new year of 2024. And I want us to focus on just a couple of verses that I want our church family to specialize in. And uh, there are all kinds of verses that we need to live our lives by. You know, the Bible is full of them. Um, but uh, each one of those verses can have an excellent impact on on our lives. But I would like for us to excel this year in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, which reads, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And I think you notice the great promise in verse 7 that that God's peace can guard our hearts and minds. You know, we all have heard about bodyguards. You know, the rich and famous, they have to have bodyguards. You know, uh, we, we're blessed to not have to, when we go out in public, blessed not to have to have a bodyguard. But uh, as God's children, though, we live in a spiritually dangerous world because we are targets of a spiritual foe, Satan. He loves it when we fall flat on our face, he does everything he can to try to trip us up. And so we need a mind and a heart guard to go with us wherever we go. We need protection. We need spiritual protection. We need protection in prayer. And prayer is what protects us. Prayer gives us a supernatural assurance that protects our hearts so we can keep moving forward as we walk with God. Let me say that again. Prayer gives us a supernatural assurance that protects our heart so we can keep moving forward as we walk with God. Prayer gives us peace, peace empowers us to make spiritual progress, and peace gives us the confidence that we need. How many of you want to go through life with no confidence? I don't see a whole lot of hands raised here. Confidence is a special thing. And prayer and the peace that comes from God gives us that confidence. So maybe you notice the promise in verse 7 is a little different than many of us would like uh, the Bible to say when it comes to prayer. We, you know, we'd like to, to have these verses say, don't worry, pray it all through, and you'll get what you ask for. Now, we, uh, we don't want to admit that, but, you know, sometimes we struggle with that. We think, oh, if I just get better in prayer, then I'm going to get everything I asked for. It doesn't say that. What it does say is that we'll have a powerful, overwhelming sense of God's peace. We'll be able to calm down and not be all worked up because we know that God is on the throne. He has a plan, and he's working it all out. It's all going to work out. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Do you know what this coming year has in store for you? I don't see any hands. You know, think about 12 months ago. (laughs) Did you know what uh, 2023 would hold in store for you uh, 12 months ago? No, we never know what a year may bring forth. You know, it's a mystery. But as we pray and as we trust God, he holds our lives in his hands. We can move forward step by step and we'll walk with God, and he'll walk with us, and that's the thing that matters, walking with God. And we don't have control over what a year brings or what circumstances or problems or situations we'll face. You know, I came across a poem that's a form of, in the form of a prayer. It's entitled, Just One Request. I'd like you to listen very carefully to this. Dear Master, for this coming year, just one request I bring. I do not pray for happiness or any earthly thing. I do not ask to understand the way thou leadest me. But this I ask, teach me to do the thing that pleaseth thee. I want to know thy guiding voice to walk with thee each day. Dear Master, make me swift to hear and ready to obey. And thus the year I now begin, a happy year will be, if I'm seeking just to do the thing that pleaseth thee. What's the thing we should pray about when it comes to this new year? That we'll please the Lord, we'll do the thing that pleases God. You know, it's uh, been well said that the the peace of God is not the absence of trial, but it's a quiet confidence within. And uh, it, it, it's, it's a confidence that's... It's there regardless of the circumstances we face. And my hope for our church family this year is that we'll experience that peace together consistently this year. 1 Peter 5, 7 tells us to cast all of our anxiety on him. And it says why. Why do we cast all of our anxiety on him? Because he cares for us. God cares for us. He cares for us more than we can fully know. You know, I uh, read the story about J. Vernon McGee when he had cancer and he was about to go into the hospital for his medical treatment, and he was very anxious and he was very worried because he didn't know what the future outcome would be. That's what I like about J. Vernon McGee. You know, he's honest. <laughs> he says, "You know, I know what the Bible says. You know, be anxious for nothing, but I was worried. I was, I was concerned." And, and he prayed earnestly that God would make himself real to him at that moment. And, and God gave him a miraculous sense of peace, and he sensed that God was there, that his hand was on the situation, and that peace went beyond his human understanding. He experienced a peace that passes his understanding. And his heart, his mind, was guarded by the peace of God. And I know some of us have had similar experiences where an overwhelming, miraculous peace of God has swept over our hearts and our minds. And it's uh, because we know that God is more powerful than any situation that we face. Now, that promise isn't just a promise for for famous preachers. That promise is for each and every one of us. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of times our our prayers are one dimensional. I'm going to get Dave Lombard's attention here, being an engineer. But a lot of times, you know, one dimensional is like linear, two dimensional has depth to it, so it's like a plane. Three dimensional prayer is like a cube, it has height. It only has width, it has depth, it has height. And that's what Paul is asking for us to do this coming year to specialize in three dimensional prayer. And uh, he uses three words that describe prayer. It's very clear in the Greek language, the original language of the Bible. But it's not so clear in the English because the first word for prayer, yeah, you all seated? The first word for prayer is prayer. Oh, wow, isn't that great, you know? Well, the Greek word for prayer is actually a word that involves or includes worship and Adoration. The first dimension of prayer is worship and adoration. It describes our initial approach to God when we pray. We're to take time to enjoy the greatness and the majesty of God, to recognize his presence. We're entering the presence of God. You know, we're so quick, and and I'm speaking for myself here. We're so quick in prayer to jump in, And uh, start asking for things, make specific requests, you know, and the Bible uses the word supplications, and that's the second dimension of prayer. First dimension of prayer is worship and adoration, the second dimension of prayer is supplications, and they're specific requests, and they're earnest, and we ask God to do some things for us. And the supplications come from deep within our heart and our soul. And I think of Jesus when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was crying out to God the Father, and he was actually sweating blood when he prayed. And it's kind of a bleeding heart kind of, of request that a supplication is, is something where our heart is bleeding. We, we feel so strongly about it. And supplication communicates a spiritual intensity, and Romans 15.30 describes that spiritual intensity. Paul was asking the Christians in Rome to strive together with him in prayer. And that's earnest there, isn't it? It's like wrestling in your prayers. It's like uh, Jacob in the Old Testament. He wrestled all night long with the angel of the Lord. He just wouldn't give up. The angel of the Lord said to him, you know, I've got to go. It's dawning. The day is dawning here. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You know, the angel of the Lord touched the hip of Jacob and dislocated his hip. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so we know how the angel of the Lord changed his name from Jake, the snake. (laughs) No, actually, Jake means a heel catcher. A conniving kind of person. I change your name from heel catcher to Israel, which means a prince or someone who has power with God. That was a blessing. But he wrestled. He just he would not give up. He would keep on wrestling with the angel of the Lord. That's like supplications. And and we are so quick to ask. But the way that we can improve our prayer lives in 2024 is Before we make our requests, before we make our supplications, let's stop and consider who God is and come in awe before his throne and worship him and have time for adoration. You know, we need to recognize and appreciate this awesome God that we're approaching. You know, we can ask anything of him that burdens our hearts. We can lay all of our burdens at his feet. But you know, when you lay a burden at someone's feet, you know what you have to do? You have to bow. You don't just throw your burden at someone's feet. You bow and you lay it down at their feet. And uh, so uh, we don't just supplicate, we're to appreciate. And uh, you know, when I think about worshiping and, and adoration, uh, when it comes to God and soaking in the presence and the power of this awesome God that uh, we worship. Uh, I think of a song that sometimes we sing. It says, I stand in awe. You're beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension. Like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You're beautiful beyond description. Majesty, majesty. Enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. All right, now when the preacher sings and you don't like his voice, you sing along, right? <laughs> okay, you try, and, you try and hide, you know, the roughness of his voice. <laughs> Amen. Thanks for laughing. I appreciate that. <laughs> so we don't just supplicate, we appreciate, and that's going to make a huge difference in our, in our prayer life. Uh, we don't have to rush into the request mode. Uh, like if we don 't get it out in a hurry, then god 's going to be inter- interrupted by a billion other things, and he won 't listen to us. No, I mean you know spend time you 've got time and spend time and and adore and appreciate and stand in awe of God. I think of the story of Esther. How many of you are familiar with the Old Testament story of Esther? A number of you are raising your hands. you know she was approaching her husband, the king and Um, he was in court and she's knocking on the door and they open the door and she's walking in unannounced to her husband, the king. And if he didn't hold out his scepter to her, she would be killed because that's just the way it worked. You know, anyone who interrupted the king, if he didn't hold out the scepter, that was it. And so she, she had a lot at stake and uh, she was very concerned about that. And, and so she came forward and he said, well, what do you want? Up to half of my kingdom I'll give to you. And uh, she said, well, um, if it would please the king, I want you to come to this banquet that I've prepared for you. And go ahead and bring Haman along with you. And so they came to this great banquet that was prepared for the king and Haman. And uh, while they're sitting there and eating, uh, the, the king says, well, okay, up to half my kingdom, what would you want me to, what's your request? What do you want me to give you? And she said, well, I just want you to come and do this again tomorrow. Okay. And she double honored her husband, the king, before she made the request. That's how important that adoration, that worship, that general word for prayer is. And, and when you think about the story of Esther, she had a lot to worry about because Haman hated the Jews. He didn't know that she was Jewish, but she, he had found a way to annihilate the whole Jewish race, which would also affect Esther. And uh, she, uh, before she had come up with a plan of of having these banquets and all that, she enlisted her uncle Mordecai and all of the Jews to pray for her. And when we read Philippians 4, 6, and 7, a lot of times we think it's like an individual sport. Oh, this is just something I do by myself. But there's no reason why we can't get everybody, the whole church family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, oh, uh, praying along with us. It's a team sport. And it's not, it, prayer is not just something done in isolation. It's something that's designed to bring us together. I don't know about you do you want to live your life in isolation no no I want to live together as family and uh, if you know the story of Esther you know the miraculous ways that God worked and the way he solved the horrendous dilemma that the Jews were facing it seemed like a huge deal from a human perspective how can this thing be solved you know but to God, the solution was no big deal. All it took was to give the king one restless night of no sleep. And the aides of the king came in, tried to put him to sleep. You know, they got the government records and started reading these boring government records. you know surely this will put him to sleep. But as they were reading, it mentioned that Mordecai had saved the king's life. He had revealed a plot to assassinate the king. And the king was still there and on the earth because of Mordecai. And the king said, what has been done to show honor to Mordecai? And they said, nothing. Nothing's been done. And so the next day, Mordecai was honored in God's perfect timing. That was the beginning of the end of Haman's wicked plot to destroy the Jewish race. You know, in Philippians 4, um, some translations like the New American Standard use the word nothing. It says, worry about nothing. This might sound kind of strange, but all the things that we worry about, aren't they really nothing? No, 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 Dave, no, if I worry, it's, it's about something big. Well, from God's perspective, What seems big to us is really nothing. It's just a circumstance that calls us to draw near to God and put our faith and trust in him. You see, no problem is too hard for God. In the faith, we learn to say, God, I know this problem seems big to me, but I I, I know you, and, and to you, this is like nothing at all. You know, a lady came to her minister, her pastor, and said, should we only pray about the big problems? And he thought for just a second, he was a very wise man, and he said, my dear lady, what problem is big to God? There's no problem that we can lay at the Lord's feet that's really big to him. He's got the solution. There's nothing too great for God's power. Nothing is too small beyond his care i like that i didn't come up with that that's a quote let me say it again nothing is too great for god's power nothing is too small to be beyond his care now the third dimension of prayer we've had one dimension we we come in worship and adoration the second dimension is supplication we probably specialize in supplications the third dimension is give thanks, give thanks. And from some of the translations we read, we get the impression that that's something we do after we receive our request. But I'm told that in the Greek, that uh, the idea in that is as we're praying, as we're we're making our requests, also give thanks at that time. You know, we think of the story of the 10 lepers, that Jesus healed. And how many came back to give thanks to Jesus? Just one. And you kind of wonder do we only give thanks for 10% of our answered prayers? You know, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more forgetful I'm becoming. I hate to admit it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's true when it comes to thanking God for answered prayers. And if I will just, as I pray and make my request, thank God ahead of time for his answer, whatever that might be, then I can move that number from 10% up to maybe 100%, right? To give thanks. And uh, the Greek word tells us, give thanks as we make our prayers. Don't wait to do it till later. If we should, we probably will forget, because there's always stuff hitting us. There's always new stuff that got our attention. And uh, let me ask you this. If you were to thank God as you're making your request, is it possible that God might give you the answer to your request of no? Could he possibly say no to your request? Yeah. Why is that true? Because God is omniscient. We're not omniscient. We don't always pray for the right things. But it doesn't matter. We can still give thanks because when God says no, it's still the best answer for us. It's still for our good. And God always does what's right for us, and so we can thank him. And we may not understand why. We may never understand why in this life, but... But we will see, when, at least maybe later in this life we'll see the reason for it, but at least when we get to heaven we'll know, yes, it's a good thing God didn't give me the answer to my prayer. I wonder how many prayers would change if God should say to us, I'm not going to answer any more of your requests until you start thanking me for the things I've already done. Now that sounds pretty Norwegian, doesn't it? I don't picture God being that way. I could be that way sometimes. Maybe you can be that way sometimes. But you know, there was a Bible commentator that I read who said, thankfulness for past blessings is a necessary condition of God accepting new petitions. I don't know if I buy that, but that's what he believed. And I think I understand where he's coming from. I don't think that's what this verse is saying. Now, in our reading schedule, in Psalm 119, we read that towards the end of the year. I think we read it this past year. In Psalm 119, verse 164, I think can give us a good challenge, a good application of how to apply this three-dimensional prayer. Uh, including worship and adoration, and including giving thanks to God. Psalm one nineteen one sixty four says, Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous loss. Seven times a day. And maybe that would be a great way to apply Philippians 4, 6, and 7 to our lives. Maybe we can make it our goal this year to praise and thank the Lord seven times a day. Does that sound unreasonable? Is that too much? Is that something we can do? I think so. Well, Dave, how do you suggest we do that? Well, how many of you plan on waking up in the morning? You can thank God when you wake up in the morning. There's one. How many of you plan on going to bed at night, going to sleep at night? There's two. How many of you guys you know, have, generally speaking, three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Yeah, okay, so three plus two is five. All right, how, Dave, how are you gonna come up with seven? How many of you snack at least two times a day? <laughs> oh, no one's raising their hand, no one's raising their hand, but that would add up to seven, right? There we go. And if you're looking at me, you're going, hey, Dave, if you praise the Lord each time you snack, you'll be praising God nine or ten times a day, (laughs) adding the snacks to the meals and getting up and going to bed. I'm going to finish with a quote, and I'm going to say it, and I don't know if it's going to be on the screen, but I'd like for us to say it together because I think it's very important. And I don't know if there's a place in your um, sermon notes maybe to fill in the blanks on this one. Christians are to be anxious in nothing, prayerful in everything, and thankful for anything. Let me say it again, and then we'll say it together. Christians are to be anxious in nothing, prayerful in everything, and thankful for anything. Can we say that together? Christians are to be anxious in nothing, prayerful in everything, and thankful for anything. Tell you what, we're going to have our praise team come up, but let me, as they're coming up, let me just uh, lead us in prayer about what we've been been talking about and and, and make it our our goal to specialize in this uh, as a church body this coming year. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care for us. Thank you, God, that you know what we're gonna pray even before we pray it. But Lord, help us to slow down this coming year, to take time to recognize who you are, how great you are, how much you love us. Uh, Recognize your grace to bow and worship at your throne. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us wisdom to make the right requests that would honor you. And Lord, we pray that we would be a more thankful people And that we would give thanks to you each time we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.